time, I'd like to welcome to the stage our guest speaker for this morning, Joshua. Joshua, would you come and join us? Joshua is... It's so good to have you here. So, Joshua, earlier this year, we had a joint men's retreat with Grace Foursquare Church. And uh, one of the sessions we had at that men's retreat was on grief. And so Joshua will be sharing with us this morning a bit of his story. And, uh, church, I ask you to listen. Many of us have been walking through difficult things. Many of us have experienced losses uh, over the last couple of years. But not only over the last couple of years. We're always experiencing losses in our lives. And so uh, what a great opportunity it is to have you here this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Jesse and Dan, for uh, asking me to come today. I, I was hoping that I wouldn't have to use uh, reading glasses while I looked at my notes, but I am that age. Uh, and so uh, my name is Joshua Bentley, uh, and I go to Grace Foursquare Church uh, here in Federal Way. Uh, I want to uh, just quickly introduce my family. So my wife, Belle, uh, my daughters, Eva, Ember, and Christy. I have a bonus daughter in Spokane named Ashley, who couldn't, uh, couldn't be here because she's in Spokane, with our second grandchild. And my son, Kai, who's working. And yes, I am a grandfather. So those of you who are sitting out there going, who is this guy with the spiky hair and earrings? I'm one of you. <laughs> so the other day I was uh, in the shower where we all do our best thinking, right? And uh, I was just kind of letting my mind wander, and I started thinking about marriage. Um, my wife and I have been married for two years, and I was thinking about marriage. And I, I remember the old um, number, the old things that used to be on the list of things that were uh, causes for divorce. Not because anything was going on in our family. Just want to make sure that that's clear. I just mind wandering, and um, and I, I wondered, you know what? I, times have changed. Life is a bit different. I wonder if there have been any new studies. What are the top five reasons for divorce now? So if you don't know, originally the top five reasons for divorce were money, politics, child-rearing, sex, and religion. I was like, okay, all right, well, let me, do, let me find out. So it turns out that there are a new five. Again, in no particular order, money, politics, child-rearing, sex, and Coke versus Pepsi. I'm a little nervous today. I'm not going to lie. This is something that's really, um, obviously, it's, it's our story, our family story. It's deeply personal. Um, it's been a long time since I've stood up and shared a message in front of anybody, let alone, uh, you know, a congregation. So um, thanks, man. I appreciate it. So let's pray before I get started. Heavenly Father, fill my mouth with what you want to say. Jesus, let us feel your tender, loving presence. Holy Spirit, Move on all of us and reveal the things that we need to see. Thank you for your grace, for your healing, and for freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. By way of introduction to the topic, I am going to be talking about grief. 9-11, what an auspicious day to be talking about grief. I can't lie, Dan, and I did that on purpose. <laughs> so, um, so by way of introduction, I want to do a little exercise. Um, if you've lost, uh, if you've had a close personal loss, between now and 2019, please raise your hand and hold it up. And I want everybody to look around. Now, for those of you who have lost someone close to you, no matter how long ago it was, raise your hand if it still feels like it wasn't that long ago. 
doesn't matter how long it was. It could have been within the last three years. It could have been five years. It could have been yesterday. Grief is not a respecter of time. Our country, we, I don't know that as humans that we do that great with grief. I think about my own company that I work for. They're very great, very understanding. They have, you know, a lot of the leaders have high emotional intelligence quotient. They're, they're a good company. But even in that company, the official policy that you get for grief when you lose somebody is three days. Three days. It's been three years in my story, and it feels like it was yesterday. It still hurts. Grief is real. So we all looked around. We saw people who have lost stuff. Grief is real. Grief is hard. It's something that we will experience at some point in our lives. It is inevitable. It's absolutely inevitable. And something that most of us have no idea to deal with, or how to deal with, rather. Um, it's, we see how it's done on TV. You know, we, we've seen it in movies. We've seen some people go through it. But we, you know, if we've never experienced it, it's hard to really understand. And the thing is, is that grief, I'm going to be talking about the loss of somebody that's personal, somebody that we love. But grief isn't restricted to just those things. Sometimes it's the loss of a job. Sometimes it's the loss of something that you love dearly, but, but that you have to give up. Sometimes it's your daughter moving away. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> my, my third daughter is going to college next week. And every time one of my kids has moved out, it's really hard because we love each other. <laughs> Me too. The Bible says that as arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are children in the ones of you, the ones you. That means that there's a letting go. Arrows have to be released to be effective. So I let them go, but there's not an arrow. That arrow's in my quiver anymore. So this isn't a structured message with the top three things. That was a freebie, by the way. Um, <laughs> the message isn't a structured message with the top three things on how to cope with grief. I'm going to share the Bentley family story. We're the Bentleys. <laughs> and, and just some of the things the Lord has taught us. God has been so good and we've learned so much. It was really hard to choose what to fit into 35 minutes and, and what to talk about. One of the best quotes that I've heard about grief is this. Grief is the form that love takes when our loved one is gone. You don't get over your loss. You don't move past grief. You move through it. And, you know, you may feel like you visit the same places over and over again, but each visit is a little different. As I share our story, you're going to feel things, and I want to encourage you to allow yourself to feel what you're going to feel while I'm talking. Your pastors want this to be a safe place. I know I'm a stranger to most of you. I want you to know that I am safe. You are safe with me. I hold no judgment or shame for your emotions, for anybody's emotions. Because grief demands to be felt. Pain demands to be felt. We are very good at avoiding pain. We're very good at covering it up, at numbing it, at stuffing it down. It's like a beach ball. You know, you go to a pool, you go to the lake, and you've got a beach ball, and you're trying to hold it underwater. I like to try to hold it under with my whole body. 
but eventually, right, it gets harder to hold, harder to hold, until finally it comes to the surface. And sometimes it comes to the surface powerfully and unpredictably. You don't know where the beach ball is going to pop out. It's not necessarily going to pop straight out of the water. It could pop out and fly over and hit the guy next to you. That's an interesting conversation. And it's the same with grief. Holding it down does not serve you. It doesn't serve the ones that you love. The interest rate that we pay on pain when we don't deal with it is astronomical. As I had a phrase after, after um, our, our, our loss happened, pain now or pain later. And the pain later can sometimes be a lot worse. We have to deal with our grief. Here's the verse that the Lord put on my heart for today. Um, Because ultimately, this is a story of hope. Our story has to do with loss. It has to do with grief. But ultimately, our story is about hope. This is um, 1 Peter 5.10 from the Passion Translation, which I am really digging. I don't know if if anybody has tried reading the Passion, uh, Passion, but it's so good. Okay, so 1 Peter 5.10. And then, after your brief suffering... The God of all loving grace, who has called you to share in his eternal glory in Christ, will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. Yes, he will set you firmly in place and build you up. That's the hope that I know that God has for us. Okay, so I'm really glad that there are tissues here. Because our story is is tough, and and like I said, three years uh, is like nothing when it comes to grief. In 2018, I lost my wife and best friend to ovarian cancer. Her name was Joni, which means God is gracious. And God was so gracious to give her to me. I often said, "What, what did I do to deserve this woman? When we met, we were 17, we met in youth group, we became friends, and then the Lord, independently of each other, the Lord told us that we were supposed to get married. Um, That was also an interesting conversation. I I am not frequently quiet for very long, uh, and so I called her, and yes, we used to talk on the phone for an hour a night, and just, I would be sitting, waiting by the phone, we had our scheduled time, we got to talk for an hour, and we start talking, and I said, I have something that I need to ask you, because I was starting to doubt. I was like, okay, well, did she hear the same thing that I heard? What if I heard wrong? And so I said, I got something I need to ask you. Fifteen minutes of silence to, to uh, get up the nerve to, to, to ask, uh, muster up the courage to ask her if she knew who she was going to marry. Yes. Do I know him? <laughs> you could say that. Is it me? And she told me later that she was, she was sweeping when we were talking. She almost dropped the broom. Yes. We spent the time between that moment and our wedding learning about each other, getting wise counsel about having a good relationship, about building it, focusing on what God wanted us to do in our ministry and as a couple. We got married at 19, and we had an incredible marriage. I mean, absolutely remarkable. 
We had four remarkable children together, and we navigated some of life's most difficult moments, most difficult things, but we always got through it. We always stuck together. When I was weak, she was strong. When she was weak, I was strong. We were able to support each other. And I always say that true love is when somebody knows all your secrets, all your skeletons, all your scars, all your stuff, and loves you anyway. That's Jesus, right? He knows everything about us, and he still loves us. That's what our best friends should be like. That's what our spouses should be like. That's what Joni was like. There was no one in the world I would have rather spent time with. We were so attuned. We grew together as a couple at the same time as we were growing together in the Lord. And so we grew in parallel with each other. And it, we just, it improved all the time. She made me a better person a better father, a better man. She was inspiration. She was a remarkable mother. Always learning, always discovering, always trying new things. She loved our children so much and was always trying to learn how to be the best mom possible to four kids who all had ADHD, which manifested in different ways, as well as a husband with diagnosed ADHD. Sainthood, I believe, is the word. Yeah. Our home was chaos when, when my uh, wife, now Belle, came over to our house for the very first time. I kind of gave her a heads up and I said, I just want you to understand that our house is lived in. <laughs> that was a nice way of saying it was a complete mess. And, and, you know, we would tell people, how many kids you have? Four kids. Oh, you must have your hands full. Really? No kidding. You have no idea. The, the, you know, the th- and the things that my kids have said constantly, just consistently when we've talked about, when we've talked about our grief and what we're missing, it's mom's hugs, it's mom's smile, it's mom's laugh. In 2015, Joni started having some persistent lower back pain, kind of around her, her uh, kidney area. And eventually she was in so much pain that we went to the ER, and it was nighttime, and the attending doctor did some ultrasounds, um, and told us that she was concerned about some of the things that she was saying. Wasn't sure exactly what it was because she wasn't an expert, but she was going to send the images over to Joni's OB so that the OB could see them first thing in the morning. The next morning, as soon as her OB had seen the images, she worked on getting us in, admitted to Swedish Hospital in Seattle and had already referred us to a specialist that she knew, that she knew excuse me, and trusted. And that night, when we, when we finally went, it was night at Swedish. I mean, that was the, the next day. Uh, and that was tough. Scans and images and tests and no answers. And you know what? The doctor's going to look at these things. We'll get back to you. It was a lot of waiting. And in the morning, we were nervously waiting for the doctor to show up and tell us what the heck was going on. On the list of things that they had written on the whiteboard, <laughs> I remember this. We, we tried to, to encounter most of life with a sense of humor. Uh, and laughing at things through pain and everything else. And on the whiteboard, I remember they had things um, for Joni to do to make sure to, you know, to get up and walk because she was you know, in, in the hospital bed, drink plenty of water. I can't remember what the third thing was. And I wrote fourth, figure out what the heck is going on with my wife. <laughs> in the morning, we were nervously waiting for that doctor to show up and tell us what was going on. And Tim, who was a very good friend of ours from our, our church uh, at Grace, he happened to work just down the street. And in the morning time, uh, it was pretty early, he shows up and he gave me a big hug. And in our church, we have a, a, a 
statement we say no one stands alone and so you know he's there and he gave me a hug and he said brother no one stands alone and I was like dude thank you so much for being here and he was there when the doctor came in and dropped the bomb on us that Joni had late stage ovarian cancer she was 41 the best word that I've found for what I felt at that moment is anguish We've done, as a family, a lot of counseling. We've done a lot of working together. We've read, you know, I can't say we've read books, but we've worked with a counselor, we've watched videos, and that word anguish is something that we've, that as soon as I heard it, I was like, yeah, that's the word. My friend Tim, (laughs) I remember he slumped to the ground with his hands over his mouth as soon as the doctor said, it's ovarian cancer. I nearly passed out. I had to ask the doctor to slow down. Um, And I sat on the bed, and I was like, okay. Um, Because I had nearly collapsed. And after the doctor left, Joni and I held each other, and we cried. And we agreed, no, we are not giving up. We're fighting. This will not be how our story ends. She started chemo treatment in the hospital during that visit. And throughout her battle with cancer, she laughed and joked about her experiences. This was the sense of humor. And she didn't shy away from talking about it. She would write on Facebook about her experiences dealing with cancer. Some of you who are watching online across the country or or maybe watch this later will remember her posts called Cancer Conversations. And she would share about what it was like to go through chemo, what you know, how people would respond to her and things that people would say, what's helpful, what's not helpful. And I remember her first chemo treatment in the hospital. We learned that one of the medications that she was being administered was derived from yew trees from the Pacific Northwest. And her response was, Oh, good. I love shopping locally. Her memorial was packed with people that she loved and people that loved her and loved our family. She touched so many people. I remember hearing that it was standing room only, one of the biggest gatherings our church had ever had, and I was humbled, to say the least. Friends and family near and far who loved us and knew our story came out in support and packed it out. She took her battle and turned it into something that could be used to help other people. There's a magnet that someone gave us as we were going through this, um, the battle. Um, my mouth is getting dry. It says, <clears throat> Courage does not always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice the end of the day saying I will try again tomorrow it's from Marianne Rodmacher hopefully I've said her name right another one of my favorite stories is from 2017 or 2018 I can't remember but Black Black Lives Matter really hit home with us and it really inspired her to take action even if it were something simple and we were walking through a parking garage on on a date night and she saw a black security guard across the parking garage. And together we walked 
across the parking garage, and I was like, what are you doing, babe? I was nervous. I didn't know what was going on. Sometimes she could be a little unpredictable. She walked up to that security guard, and she shook his hand and looked him in the eye and said, your life matters to me. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. And I was like, man, why didn't I think of that? She was willing to do anything to extend her life. That's why she went through chemo. She wanted to see our youngest daughter graduate high school. We prayed for a miracle. We prayed for healing. Whether through medical means or supernaturally, we believed for complete healing. I absolutely believe in healing. I absolutely believe that God can do divine healing and can do miraculous things. I've seen it happen. So all throughout the battle, God can do whatever. God can do anything. And I believed and I hoped God would do a miracle even until her last moment. That last day we were on hospice care and she was in the room and I still believed, God, I know you can do something. And even after she passed, we always told each other, if I pass, I want you to pray that I would get raised from the dead. And I prayed for her in that moment. But that didn't happen. My youngest daughter, my youngest daughter, lost her mom when she was just 13. 13! How is that fair? It isn't fair. It isn't fair. And it's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay to say, sorry, <clears throat> Dylan, I know that that's <laughs> annoying on the mic. It isn't fair. It's okay, and it's okay to not have answers, and it's okay to be angry and in anguish that it's not fair, and, and it's okay. Whose fault was it that Joni died? Was it God's fault? No. God is not the author of pain. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And then you go back to church. If a worship team strikes up a song with verses like, I count on one thing, the same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Or this one, I can't carry this tune, so I'm just going to read it. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall, but you've never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you have never failed me yet. These words were like ash in my mouth. How do we expect anybody to sing those kind of words? And I'm not, the worship team wasn't insensitive. Those words are true. And I, I, I actually love those songs. But at that moment, those words were like ash in my mouth. How do you sing that kind of song? How can we expect ourselves or anybody how do you sing that kind of thing about God not failing when you've been hoping and praying for healing and the person you're praying for passes away? My heart cry in that moment was, God, I know these words are true. I know that this is true about your character, but I feel like you have failed me. You have let me down. I'm so angry. So... If you have to step out of worship, which is what I did, I told God, Lord, I know these things are true about you, but I can't sing this right now. One day I'll sing this again. 
Lord, I know I will, but right now I can't. So if you have to step out of worship when you're going through something like this or feel like you can't even come in until after worship, it's okay. That's one of the things that I'm going to be saying a lot. It's okay. We need to acknowledge those things. Give your permission to say, I just can't sing this right now. You know, I found myself wanting desperately to see behind the veil. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, again in the Passion Translation. For now we see but a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries, as though reflected in a mirror, but one day we will see face to face. My understanding is incomplete now, but one day I will understand everything, just as everything about me has been fully understood. I may not fully understand it now, but one day, one day I'll understand. And in the meantime, treasure every faint reflection God chooses to make clear to me. I share all this because I want you to understand the depth of my family's loss. So you can realize the the, the depth of our loss so that you can realize and appreciate the height of our healing. Like I said, all we've ever, ever wanted was for God to use our story to help others. He's taught us so much. What God has done in the Bentley's family, the Bentley family, is absolutely miraculous. It is mighty and is pretty darn quick. I remember asking my dad about Joni after after we were diagnosed. My dad was amazing. So he was at the time he was 71, and um, he was always there for his kids. Uh, and I said, Dad, I, I really need you to be here. Can you come down here? Are you, would you be? And he was like, do you want me to stay? And I asked the, you know, the nurses. I was like, can, can he stay? She was like, oh, yeah, there's a visitor's room. And if he's okay sleeping on the couch, we'll bring him pillows and blankets. And they set him up, and he slept there more than one night. And I remember sitting there one night just worried about the future And I said, if I lose her, who will I become? His words were so wise. Hi, Dad. I know you're watching. His words were so wise, he said, it'll be different, but it could be really good. And he was right. The enemy comes to still kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life more abundant. That's what Jesus said. And what the enemy meant for evil to destroy our family, the Lord has used for good, and not just good, great. He will personally and powerfully restore you. (laughs) After Joni passed, she had told me well before she passed away, I want you to get me married because our kids need a mom. That at the time, I was like, right. As if, who, who in the world, you know, am I, no, I didn't want to think about it. And so after she passed, I was like, who would want to be with me? A grieving widower with four kids. And to quote my wife now, have you seen who you're married to? <laughs> Belle is an absolute godsend. Even when I was preparing this message and saying to her that I was worried that she would feel hurt 
or overshadowed by how I talk about Joni, she said, our story is impossible without Joni. Anybody know what bell means in French? Beauty. It means beauty. This will be, you'll understand where I'm going with this in a second. Belle has taken the time. She was actually telling Jesse that, that um, I think it was Jesse or Dan, her, her name is actually Belinda, but the Mountie started calling her Belle. And she's been Belle ever since. She's taken the time to walk with our family through our grieving process, even, it was, even when it was incredibly painful for her. Excuse me. This is the raw vulnerability of grief. <laughs> I'm blowing my nose even though I know that I'm on television. <laughs> so even when it was incredibly painful to her, she's taken the time to learn about Joni. She's let me tell her stories about Joni and has not only been patient with us, but she has gone so far as to honor Joni in our house. She's given me gifts of remembrance for Joni. The kids and her for Father's Day bought a star and named it after Joni and gave it to me for Father's Day, right before church. So I'm, I'm a mess right before we leave the house. I'm like, you guys are jerks. <laughs> She's even set up a little area downstairs that's sort of a, a Joni area in our home where we can spend time with Joni's picture and some of Joni's favorite things when we feel like we just need to be around her. <laughs> She's even said that she talks to Joni sometimes, and I'm sure those conversations are, oh, gosh, how did you put up with this guy? When she... T- <laughs> no amens from you. <clears throat> when she tells people how we met, she includes our family's loss. I could not imagine finding someone like her, and I'm consistently, constantly blessed to think that she chose me and that she's stuck with our family. The bravery she has shown as she walked with us has been amazing. The bravery that Joni showed in her walk was amazing. I guess I have a thing for brave women. (laughs) Belle's name means beauty. God literally gave us beauty for ashes. How did you get through this? People ask me, how in the world are you doing so well? The church answer, of course, is Jesus, right? And that is true. Without our faith, without our support of our church family, I am so grateful to the body at Grace Church because they came around us and supported us practically. I mean, we had meals out our ears be careful if you're ever in that situation when somebody when when the the church group asks what you like to eat if you say mexican and you don't really give any other types of dishes you will have enchiladas forever (laughs) i think we might still have some in our freezer but without that support and without our faith there, there, is, there is no way we could have got through this. So that is absolutely key. We also had our extended family, my brother, my dad, Joni's siblings, Joni's parents, 
uh, and friends and family that surrounded us and helped us and loved us. My kids and I, we were absolutely committed to sticking with each other and uh, took turns to lean on each other when somebody needed help. I was able to say to the kids, guys, I'm having a hard day today. I really miss mom. And of course, my youngest, yeah, me too. <laughs> like we were in sync. We allowed each other to mourn and to need help and to be open with how we were feeling. And without diminishing any of those things, I honestly have to say that what has allowed us to heal so quickly has been counseling and mental health and, and learning. Our family started grief counseling the October before Joni passed away when the doctor had said, we're kind of out of options now. And Joni said, I just want us to get to Christmas. And he said, I think I can do that. And as soon as he said, I think we're out of options, I was like, whoop, everybody into counseling. <laughs> we need to get into grief counseling right now. We need to learn how to process this. We need to learn with Joni present, too, what we're going to do now that we're in this spot. Now, I still believed, remember, I still believed in healing. I still believed that God could do a miracle. I wasn't ready to say, we're done. But we're near in that spot. You're, it's dire. It feels like you don't have options. But, you, you know, you're holding on to faith. And it's like, you know what, we, we better face the reality that this news is devastating and we need to do something about it. And so we started seeing counseling. After a little while, I started to see this counselor individually after Joni passed. And I still see her once a week. Our family used to see her once a, a week in grief counseling. We still see her once a month because life has changed. It's less about grief now and more about our grafted family. I've been remarried. We have a grafted family. That's weird. They don't live in the house. They live over in Spokane. How does that relationship work? We need help guiding through those things. We all handle things differently. Belle processes things differently than the Bentleys process things. She's a Bentley now. That was weird. Uh, <laughs> We needed to learn how to walk with each other through those things. Bell and I do marital counseling with the same counselor every other week. My wife started seeing her for individual counseling for herself, and two of my children see her on a regular basis as well. That's a lot of counseling. Yeah, it is. And we are thriving. We are seeing our individual wounds being healed, and we're being able to walk with each other through the healing that each other is experiencing as we go through it. And so remember what my dad said about things being different but good. My relationship with Belle has brought things up and helped me heal in ways that didn't need to get touched in my relationship with Joni. They were things that just didn't come up in that relationship and through walking. And now that we've gone through grief and now that there's been the loss, the the experience that I have with Belle, I'm experiencing healing in ways that I didn't know that I needed at the time. And I don't say that to say that one is better than the other or trying to find some trite way of making Joni's passing okay. I say that to point out that who I am and what my life is now is different, but it's good. 
Christians, we have to get over thinking, this thinking that counseling and therapy is only for other people who really need it. We need to reframe our thinking and realize that we really need it. You don't have to be having panic attacks. You don't have to be in deep depression or suicidal thoughts to, to need or benefit from a counselor. We have to start normalizing the available treatments for mental and emotional health. May was Mental Health Month. I don't know if anybody knew that. And I took time with the team. I lead a team uh, in, a, in a tech support uh, department. And every Friday we have a team meeting. And it's so important to me. Every Friday at the start of our team meetings, I was like, hey, here's something you might notice, mental health, um, that, that we need to do. We need to normalize those treatments. We need to normalize those things. It's not weakness. It's not a lack of faith. It's not a lack of believing that God can heal when you have a broken leg, you use a crutch. You use a cast. It's no different. If you need medication for a little while to get past something that you're going through, it's okay. It doesn't mean that you're going to be on it for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean that God hasn't healed you or can't heal you. Just use it. I have to wear reading glasses. I can't, by force of will, decide that I'm not going to use reading glasses because then I really read things weird. (laughs) Needing therapy is not a weakness. Men, are you listening? (laughs) Counseling is not just for women. It's not just for wusses. Talking about your emotions does not make you weak. Anybody can stuff their emotions. Anybody can, you know, hide it and put it down. It takes a strong person, man or woman, to be able to say, this is how I'm feeling, to acknowledge your, your uh, issues and deal with them. It takes strength to go, you know what, I'm sick of living this way. I need help with this and, and actually get help with it. So the next section I had, I had planned to do, helping others uh, and uh, helping others grieve uh, when we need to sit with others. But as I started to unpack it, as I, was, as I was writing it out, I realized that some of these things that I'm writing are things that we need to practice with ourselves as we're going through grief. There's two quotes from the, uh, a, a series of unfortunate events books. It is a curious thing, the death of a loved one. We all know that our time in this world is limited and that eventually all of us will end up underneath some sheet, never to wake up. And yet, it is always a surprise when it happens to someone we know. It is like walking up the stairs to your bedroom in the dark and thinking there is one more stair than there is. Your foot falls down through the air, and there is a sickly moment of dark surprise as you try and readjust the way you thought of things. If you have ever lost someone very important to you, then you already know how it feels. And if you haven't, cannot possibly imagine it. So let's recap the things so far quickly. Grief is the form love takes when the one we love is gone. Grief demands to be felt. Pain now or pain later, and the interest rate is high. Be open, be real. Counseling and mental health treatments are good. So even though I'm phrasing these next things like they're supporting for supporting those who grieve, some of them are true for those of us who are doing the grieving. Allow yourself and others to feel what they feel when they feel it. Emotions are not good or bad. They just are. They don't always feel good. When we say negative emotions, positive emotions, 
as a way of conveniently sort of categorizing them. But they're neither good nor bad. They just are. What we do with them is, is what makes, is really kind of what determines them. And so for yourself, if you're going through grief or any time, your emotions are there to tell you something. I, I went through a course and, and they said, emotions are messages from you to you about you. And when we're supporting someone who is grieving, try to ask questions and don't try to fix things. Ah, that sounds so hard when you're talking. You know, you're talking to someone, that sounds so hard. I'm so sorry. What is that like for you? Just asking questions, gathering information. People who are grieving will feel distracted, emotional, numb, and any other number of things. Just let them feel it. Don't force them to feel something different. Don't force them to feel stuff or conjure up feelings that don't exist. I, I remember when my, my sister passed away, I, I, I was doing, I was in a moment where I was doing okay. And other people around me were crying. And I was like, should I be crying right now? Maybe I should work up some tears. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't be doing okay right now. But that, that would have been fake. I was doing okay. Sometimes you feel numb. You're not going to always feel numb. Remember that vulnerability is strength. Don't try to tell them to be strong for their family. And in that meaning, don't show your emotions. Don't cry in front of the kids. Don't tell a cancer patient you've got to be strong for your kids. Being strong is being vulnerable and being open. And most of the time when people say that, you've got to be strong, they don't mean be open and vulnerable and share your feelings. They mean keep it in. You've got to be support. You know, you've got to be there for people. Don't encourage them to put on a false front just because their emotions make you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> don't encourage people to put on a false front just because their emotions make you feel uncomfortable it can be really awkward being around people who are responding to something differently than you would respond to one of the things that my friend Lance who's, who's here he told me about a loss that his family had and a lot of people were gathered around the dinner table you know, after a memorial and laughing and having a great time. And one of the siblings came in. They were angry. How can you be laughing right now? We just lost somebody. And they were laughing, telling stories of the person that they lost. And what Lance told me was they acknowledged, it's okay if you're angry. We're not in that place right now. It can be weird. Ooh, this person just exploded. We're all having a good time. Yeah, it, it can be awkward. Letting people feel what they're feeling. So for supporting people who are going through it, my encouragement is, to, one of my encouragements is to just be present. Just be with them. There's an old phrase, I, I don't know if you've heard this before, but being a Job's friend. Job's friends, were they gave him terrible advice and said things that were really dumb <laughs> in the midst of his grief. But even they were quiet for a week and just sat with him. There's a concept in, in uh, Jewish culture to, called sitting shiva with somebody. 
And it's just loved ones and family gathering around the person who's lost somebody and just being there. Not saying, not fixing, just being there. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to give counsel. You don't have to do anything but be there. Go to a movie with them. You don't have to say anything. Hey, let's go to a movie. Let's watch a movie. Bring over a video game system. I have a friend who, he, he's an online cartoonist. And I've followed his career since 1998 when he qu- finally was able to quit his job and become a full-time cartoonist. And, and he and I never really knew each other. He and I met at a gaming convention in 2015, and I, I was thrilled to finally be able to, to meet him, and we hung out and a friendship developed. And after Joni passed, because he and his wife had, had gone out with us a couple times after he found out that she had cancer. And he said, can I come over? Uh, and I said, yeah. He said, I'll come over and I'll bring the, the PS4 virtual reality headset. And he did. He drove from Bothell all the way down to Covington and he just hung out with us. And we played games and we have a, had a great time and we laughed. And he was just, he didn't try to fix anything. He was just there. I don't know that he knows how much that meant to me or to my family. To some of my kids, he became Uncle Scott. I don't think he knows that. Just in that simple act, he made a huge difference. Shoot, you could go over to somebody's house when they're grieving and clean their house. Just show up. Hey, you know what? I'm just here to, to, to clean, to straighten, do whatever I can, wash the dishes. I'm, you, if I'll listen if you want me to listen. I just... I'm, I'm just here for you. Just know that I'm here. Sometimes we just need somebody who will cry with us and not give us all the answers. Be patient. Don't expect a grieving person to know what they need. And don't be surprised if they go from not knowing what they need to knowing exactly what they want or need and then changing their minds. Don't be surprised if you make uh, events, make plans with somebody Who's, who's grieving, who's lost somebody, and they have to cancel because they're just having a really bad grief day. That's going to happen. And it's, it's just in the spirit of, I'm, I'm here for you, and yeah, it it's, might be disappointing because sometimes those moments of grief come out of nowhere. <laughs> it does that. I wrote, I have some stuff that I wrote online about our process, and one of the things that I refer to as the, the whole of grief that sort of appears. It's like that concept of thinking there's one more step than, than there is. Just the whole appears, and all of a sudden it's like, ooh, well, I didn't know that was there. The great thing to do is to just ask, how can I best help you right now? What do you, what do you need from me? Do you need me to just to listen? I'll, I'll just listen. Do you want advice? Do you want me to encourage you? Do I just want me to pray? Do we just need to cry? Do you just want me to be here and be silent? Asking questions, oh my gosh, people, if we could just start asking questions more <laughs> about everything in life, that would solve a lot of things. Really, how did you come to that conclusion? You know, just asking questions instead of being offended. <laughs> Another topic. Don't freak out. This is something that I experienced from believers, is, is people seeming like they were freaking out. Don't start freaking out when somebody says they're angry with God, that they're thinking about leaving the faith, or they're wrestling with doubt. 
There were moments where I said, if this is what Christianity is about, I don't want to have anything to do with this. That was at that moment. That wasn't, obviously, my (laughs) dedication for the rest of my life. The person, this person who is expressing these things is not necessarily on the verge of denouncing Christ, and they don't need you to try to save their soul. Theologically, I know, I've been a Christian for a while, a long while. Theologically, I know that it's okay to be angry with God. I know all of the things that the Bible says about God's faithfulness and how it's true and everything else. I know that all that's true. But what I don't need, here's the other thing, I know that God can handle my anger, my rage, my blame, my swearing, yes, I've even been there, <laughs> my doubt, my thoughts of abandoning faith. I, I don't need to be told that it's okay. I, I know that. It just seems like something that, that we need. And sometimes it feels like it's something that we need to say to people. And sometimes people don't know that it's okay. But let the person encounter God in their own way. Offer encouragement, offer sympathy, things like, Gosh, like I said before, it sounds so hard. Or, yeah, I can see how you'd feel that way. I can see why you'd you'd want that right now. Or one of the best things, you know, I don't know exactly what you're going through. and I don't know what to say. But I love you. And I'm here for you. (laughs) It's like those scenes in movies, right? We've all seen it where someone is angry at the big guy who could have done something about it, who could have stopped this thing. It's this person's fault because they didn't stop whatever it was that, that, that happened. And they just start beating their fists on the big character, hitting them, screaming at them, even though it's really not their fault. And we all know it because we know the story. We're, we're, we've watched. We know that it's not this person's fault. They're just beating at him. And then the best stories, my favorite stories, is this strong person just wraps their arms around him and holds them and just lets them beat the crap out of them if they need to do that. Holds them as they weep. That's God. That's what God does. He can take it. He can take it. Let your family or friend wail away on God. Let them be free to scream, to swear, or whatever. Sometimes in the moment of anguish, a swear word that we're saying or that we're expressing is all we can get out, all we can say. And in that moment, let's not freak out. They're like, oh, they said a swear word. Just hear the anguish of their heart. If you know God can take it, don't stop them from doing it. Don't feel obligated to give them permission. Be gentle with yourself and others. There is no handbook for grief. Worship team, if you want to start getting ready. There is no handbook for grief. There's no perfect way to grieve. There's no perfect way to comfort. Whether you need to deal with grief, are grieving right now, or you're trying to help someone grieve, realize there's no perfect way to do it. We're humans. We are messy. We're going to get things wrong. We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to be accidentally insensitive, be disappointed, be disappointing. We won't be disappointing. Our actions might be disappointing. And we'll either unintentionally hurt somebody or unintentionally get hurt ourselves. 
it is okay. These things are not the end of the world, even though we're in the midst of them and it feels like, man, if I don't say the right thing at this right moment, something's going to happen, something bad's going to happen. Let's give each other the grace to be human and try to be patient with each other while we learn, knowing and trusting that God is going to work all things out. And I hate to end on something that might sound trite because I hate it when my counselor says it, (laughs) despite how true I know it is and how many times I've seen it be true. It won't always be this way. If you're hurting right now, it won't always be this way. And whatever pain you're experiencing is not what God intended. God is not the author of pain. He does not want you to be in pain. It is not what God wanted for your life. And it won't always be this way. Back to the verse I started with. And then, after your brief suffering, the God of all loving grace, who has called you to share in his eternal glory in Christ, will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. Yes, he will set you firmly in place and build you up. The healing that we've had, the thriving that our family is doing, There's a worship song we sang recently in church and I just started bawling my eyes out because the verse said the children are laughing and dancing and singing. The children are laughing and dancing and singing and that's what is happening in our household. It's amazing what God can do. And it's amazing the resources that he's given us to be able to get through this. There's medicine for a reason. God blessed us with people who have brains to comprehend those things and come up with things. There are people who understand how to counsel and how to provide counsel. They are gifts from God. I spoke with Dan and and Jesse and and what we want to do, and Jesse will give some more um, instruction on this, but what we want to do is to be available to pray with people after service. If you're carrying loss or undealt with grief, I want to be there to pray with you too. There is healing to be had. Prayer is a powerful part of that. I know this church believes in prayer. It is a powerful part of that. So let's pray. Lord, thank you that our story does not end with pain. Thank you that even though pain is in our story, that it is not the end of our story. Our story doesn't have to end with loss. Our story doesn't have to end with sadness and grief for the rest of our days. Lord, you have the ability and the desire to see us restored better than we were before, to heal us better than we were before. When we thought, Lord that we would be empty, that we thought, who, who can use me? Who would love me? Lord, you want to use us. You want to use our story to bless other people. You want to heal and to restore. 
and you've given us means to do it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to challenge our preconceived notions of what that healing looks like. God, believing that you can do a miracle and believing that you can heal supernaturally, but also knowing that there are resources that you've given us that we can turn to, Lord, and that there is no shame in it. Help us to be brave and vulnerable with each other. Help us to be real with you. You know everything anyway, Lord. There's no reason why we should hide it from you. Lord, thank you for all the people who are watching online, all the people who are gathered here today. Thank you for your great love for them and the things that you want to do in them, Lord, that you want to do in all of us. Lord, help us to be sensitive to what you're doing and where you want us to go, Lord, and help us to be brave to take the next step, to be brave to reach out for help. In Jesus' name, amen.